This is our fourth week in Psalm 23. So let's take our Bibles and turn there. Psalm chapter 23. As you're turning, let's quote the three verses that we have memorized, right? You've memorized them, correct? If you've already turned to Psalm 23, no fear looking down. All right, let's quote them together. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Excellent. You're doing great. Let's look at verse 4 this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we'll study that verse in a moment, but let's just kind of summarize again what we've learned. I think it's helpful, especially in summer when uh, we have people being away, to summarize what we've learned. So, six facts we've learned so far. Number one, that we are what? Tell me. We are sheep, right? We're stubborn, we are clueless, and we're prone to wander away. And because we're sheep, all of us need what? Tell me. A shepherd, right. And the only one who is worthy to be the shepherd, the only one who is faithful to be the shepherd is Jesus Christ. And because he's gracious and we can completely trust him, there are times, though, when he'll make us lie down. He'll make us uh, cease striving in order to offset our control and to refresh us spiritually. And as sheep, fourth fact, we have to follow his leading. And his leading always takes us to a place of strength. Now, last week we saw that because of sin and the difficulty that creates, that we need to have times where our soul is turned back. You remember the word that we used? It was shub, right? Everybody say shub. Shub, right. We have to be turned back to the Lord because he wants to reform and renovate our soul. And in those times when we're spiritually weary, we're kind of run down from opposition and all the things that are going on, that he revives us. And the way God revives us is by putting us on paths of righteousness. You will never be revived spiritually by sinning. You will never feel stronger, happier, more content, more fulfilled, more on the right track than when you're walking on paths of righteousness. But as soon as we take a detour, as soon as we veer off and take an exit that we think is going to be happy for us because it's out of the will of the Lord, that's when we lose all of that contentment and all of that leading. Now, that leads us to verse 4. And in verse 4, we see a situation which is not something we've caused. But it is a very real part of our experience. And besides regressing back to sin, this, what we see in verse 4, is really one of the primary causes of fear. One of the primary causes of weakened faith. It's also a cause of an attitude of defeat and a lack of joy. Now, when you think about those words, defeat and lack of joy and fear and weak faith, those are not words that we associate with somebody that celebrates this table. 
somebody who has experienced the overwhelming love of God and his amazing grace and his uh, mercy that redeems us through his sacrifice and his security of his spirit and his promises. When, when we think about salvation and cleansing and forgiveness and his presence and all those things, we don't associate those words with weakness and fear and defeat and lack of faith and all those types of things. Because if the result of our salvation and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to be scared and anxious and despondent and defeated and discouraged and, and just kind of not living in any confidence and not living in any contentment, that, then really Jesus died and rose again for no reason. If, if there's no remarkable change that takes place because we've experienced Christ, if there's no strength and no security and no confidence, that, then we either don't understand what Jesus did or Jesus' work meant nothing. Because when you know the Lord, when you've experienced the Lord, your life is different. When we were singing those songs, I've been saved 44 years this summer. When I was singing those songs, it was like I was saved again. I was just completely broken and overwhelmed by the words that we were singing. That God would do that for us. That God would do that for me. And if we don't feel that, and it goes beyond feelings, if we're not living in that, if there's, if there's not a real change that's taken place, if our soul isn't revived and encouraged, and, and, and we're just kind of not showing any indication that anything's different, that, then really we have to wonder, where are we with the Lord? Now you say, well, that's a little extreme. It's really not. It's really not. Yes, we're all going to have times of great discouragement to spiritual opposition, and we're going to go through severe trials. Some of you maybe are going through those right now, but let me tell you, those are temporary. We are not called to remain in that attitude for an extended period of time because we've been shown the grace of God and we've experienced the power of the Lord so we can say as we sang earlier blessed be the name of the Lord you give and you take away but blessed be the name of the Lord because the Lord is good now David knew that truth look back at verse 4 he knew that truth and as we established last week this was likely written, I believe, toward the end of his life after he had gone through uh, multiple painful experiences. As I was studying this week, I just kind of, uh, just off memory, wrote down a list of all the things that David went through. It was remarkable. I've studied David many times, but I, when you see the list and when you read the list, you're like, good gravy, this guy went through a lot. So let me just quickly give you a little recap. He was overlooked by his father. He was resented by his brothers. He was left alone as a youth. He was endangered by wild animals. He was challenged by a giant with the kingdom on the line. He was anointed king but threatened by the former king. He was separated from his best friend. He was chased through the desert. He was challenged to war by multiple nations, but it didn't stop there. His daughter was raped by his son. His other son killed that son and all his brothers and then started a coup d'etat. David again was chased into the desert until his son was murdered by his top general. And then David committed adultery. He committed indirect murder. He had that son die. He was rejected from building the temple. He watched the son who did build the temple completely stray from God. And then he offended and disobeyed God by taking a census. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that makes my problems look like a day at Dairy Queen. Like that, that, uh, the things that I've gone through in life, and you know some of them very well, the things that I've gone through seem like absolutely nothing compared to that. And yet here is the amazing fact of God's grace. The Lord called David a man after his own heart and gave that guy who went through those failures and experiences, he gave him an eternal kingdom and said, my Messiah, the Savior, will come out of your generational line. How many know the grace of God is just an amazing thing? That despite all his failures, despite all the constant turmoil he was in, David, toward the end of his life, look back at the verse, could say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now what I'd like to do this morning is what we've kind of done the last three or four weeks, is I'd like to just isolate, just go through the lines of the verse and isolate some real important spiritual principles that will help us, especially when we're experiencing difficulty, okay? So let's establish, take some notes as always, let's establish some facts and some truths that come right out of the text. I'm not giving you anything that's, that's not right here. And let's find some strength this morning because if you're going through difficulty and you're going through a major trial, this will help you and this will encourage you. And if you're not going through a major trial or difficulty, you will. It's coming down the road. So this is the truth that we need to have in our heart, right? Because the Bible says, your word have I hidden my heart so I won't sin against you. Because it's very easy when we're in difficulty and trial to want to run from the Lord, okay? So fact number one, let's establish this. There are times, there are times when we will go through devastating and painful situations, Let's just say it up front. Let's not hide it. Let's not try to, to glide over it and say, well, when you're a Christian, everything's so wonderful and happy and you never have any problems. Listen, one of the great fallacies of the so-called prosperity gospel movement that is so popular is this teaching that trials are caused by a lack of faith. And that the only way you overcome them is just to think positive thoughts and just to say the right words. I heard one prominent pastor say on the radio this week that you just have to tell your problems to go to sleep. I don't know where that is in the Bible, but it's not anything I've read. Or you can solve these problems, the prosperity gospel movement says, by sending in a financial seed gift of faith to our ministry. And we'll send you a little trinket that you can hold on to and find faith in. And once you give to us, and once you get your trinket, everything will be fine. Another approach that people like to take to try to supposedly provide comfort to people is to marginalize and trivialize the problem. You ever had somebody do this to you? They say things like, when life gives you lemons, what do we do? Make lemonade. Or somebody will say, well, when you're in a trial and you're in the valley of shadow of death, you just need to walk around saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, that's wonderful. I love to praise the Lord. But these are ridiculous, non-biblical suggestions. These are not solutions. Why? Well, first of all, because they don't provide any comfort or strength. And second of all, because they lack any sense of Psalm 23, 4, that the only answer is the presence of the shepherd. 
See, David says these situations, these awful things that we go through, these devastating times and crises that we have in our lives, he says they are the valley of the shadow of death. Now, he's not saying they are death. He's saying there's a shadow there. There's a sense of it. So these are dark, difficult, challenging problems that threaten our, our spiritual and emotional and physical security. And they cause us to feel overwhelmed and alone. And if we allow those thoughts to creep in, that we become bitter and angry. In fact, the extreme nature of the words that he uses here tells us that these are very real and, and visceral and life-changing situations in which we feel like there's no escape, there's no solution, I don't know how this is going to turn out, there's no way it's going to end well, and as I'm going through it, I will never ever again be the same. I'll never feel victory, I'll never feel joy, I'm just completely beaten down. Now, as we detailed, David had many of those times in his life. David went through so many difficult problems, but keeping in the context of the psalm, if you look back at verse 1 and then go down to verse 4, I believe that it was his experience as a shepherd that made this thought really pertinent. David knew the topography of Israel. And when you go from Jerusalem down to Jericho and the Dead Sea, when you go through what's called the hill country, as you go through it, there are, there are cliffs and valleys and what they call wadis, which is where you get little flash floods that go through. There, there are cliffs and valleys and wadis. And in between those valleys, you'll have walls of cliffs, and the cliffs have caves in them. And the danger of that as a shepherd was that uh, predatory animals would hide out in the caves or thieves and robbers would hide out in the caves so they'd hear the shepherd or a traveler as we see in the Good Samaritan parable. They'd see somebody coming along and they'd wait and bide their time and then they would jump down and attack. And many times if they were attacking a shepherd, they would steal the sheep. They would attack and, and harm the shepherd and, and steal the sheep away. Now, David experienced this firsthand. When he was a shepherd, we read in 1 Samuel that he was attacked by both a bear and a lion. And the Lord had helped him kill both those animals. David knew what it was to have a lion prowling and, and, and walking around and kind of stalking him and the sheep. And when the lion finally attacked, David said, God was my sufficiency and was my strength. Now it's, it's hard and not hard to, to, to draw the parallel to what 1 Peter 5.8 says. That our enemy is what? He's a roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. But David says, listen, our shepherd is never defeated. Our shepherd is never overwhelmed by the enemy. So let me personally illustrate this. Let's, let's illustrate this to ourselves this morning. And I want you to do something that's a little bit emotionally painful. I want you to remember right now the absolute worst experience of your life. It can be anything. It can be a physical health problem. It can be the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, divorce, um, a friend who turned on you, whatever it is. I want you to think about it. As painful as it is, I want you to dwell on it for a moment. I don't want you to get super despondent or start crying or, or leave, but, but it's necessary for us to understand verse 4 to dwell on that. Just think about that, that absolute worst experience, that low when you just were completely devastated and broken. 
Now, let me give you a truth. The Lord brought you through it. The Lord brought you through it. You're here today. The experience and the, and the pinnacle of pain is behind you. Now you say, say, well, Paul, that's not true because I'm going through that worst experience right now. And I want to and I want to uh, disacknowledge your sadness. I want to acknowledge that you are struggling and that you're sad, but I also want to tell you that no matter what the outcome is, the Lord will bring you through. The Lord will bring you through. And I don't mean that to sound trite or, or, or kind of, well, you'll just, it'll be fine and everything will be wonderful. Listen, if the Lord delays this long, you will look back five years from now in 2023 and the pain will not be as acute. And if you trust in him, you will be able to look back and say, God was faithful and God was sufficient and God was my very present help in time of trouble. And even though I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't have to fear because he was with me and he helped me. Now, we have to, this morning, acknowledge and, and, and agree with that undeniable truth that those who trust the Lord and those who seek his help and wait on him, Isaiah says, will have their strength renewed. That's why this series is called Living in God's Strength, because even verse 4, look at it, is a testimony of the power and sufficiency of the Lord's provision, that no matter what the difficulty or trial, no matter how deep your pain is, even this morning, no matter how much fear will grab you, you have a faithful shepherd who loves you and will take you through it. If you know that's true, I want you to say, praise the Lord out loud, because we've got to acknowledge that. We've got to acknowledge that. Because the enemy is going to keep whispering in our ear, no, God's not faithful. This is a low point. You'll never get through this. You're never going to be content again. There's never going to be joy. God has failed you. And you know what? He's a liar. He's a liar. And we have to admit, no, God is faithful. God will get me through this. And that truth is, leads us to the second spiritual principle. Second spiritual principle is, as believers and children of God, fear cannot have power over us. As believers and children of God, fear cannot have power over us. David, it's confident, unwavering, unequivocal words here are, I fear no evil. Now that's not just a, a naive, blind hope that, that doesn't recognize the gravity of the situation. David knew what it was to walk through the shadow of death. So this is not just uh, whistling past the graveyard. Oh, well, it's going to be fine. I hope. I don't really know. But yeah, I think so. And I'm just going to say good thoughts and think good thoughts. And, and we'll just get through it. No, th this, is a, this is a real fear. But that fear doesn't control him. And I believe there are two implications of the word fear here. One is, one is literal fear. One is a, a real threat of a problem, whether it's warfare or some life situation that's, that's threatening to do significant damage. There is, there is a real sense of fear. The other fear is fearing, notice the next word, I will fear no evil. See, the enemy wants to influence us to yield to evil. So he attacks us with appeals to our pride and with overt temptation 
and with pressure to conform. And those attacks can be so intense and so pervasive that we may feel, I can't resist. The pressure is so strong, Paul. You don't understand. I do, actually. The, the pressure is so intense, it's frightening. I'm waking up in the night with panic attacks. I can't feel like I can't breathe. I, I'm, I'm struggling to get through every day, and I know I shouldn't, but I just, I'm trying hard to trust, but I just can't. I, I, I just, I have, to, I have to do something to make the pressure ease up. I've got to make a change, or I've got to commit a sin so, so that it'll get back to normal. No, you don't. Look back at verse 4. Even when we're in the worst, most dangerous, most threatening, most fearful situation, look at what the Holy Spirit tells us. Do not fear it. Fear must not and cannot have control over us. Why? Because the Lord is with us and he will lead us on paths of righteousness. And I promise, I promise from experience, if you stay on that path, that fear will be relieved. God doesn't put us in the valley of shadow of the death to, to instill fear in us. He allows us to go through it so we will recognize there is only one faithful shepherd. There is only one source of sufficiency. There is only one source of strength, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he will show us his love and his mercy and his presence and his help. So listen, it is wrong. It is wrong for believers to dwell on the danger of the valley. It is wrong for believers to live in spiritual pessimism and feelings of defeat instead of being confident in the strength of the shepherd. Do not let the fear control you. And that leads us into the third thought, that when we trust and abide with the shepherd, we will choose not to live in fear. When we trust in and abide with the shepherd, we will choose not to live in fear. Fear is a choice. Fear is exacerbated by two factors, a lack of knowledge and a lack of power. The only reason we ever fear is because we don't know what's going to happen and we don't feel like we have the power to overcome it. If I hear today, that I owe the IRS anywhere between a dollar and $10,000 next year, and I only have $2,000 in my account, I'm going to live in some anxiety and fear, correct? I'm going to worry that somehow I can't pay it. Now, I don't know how much the cost is going to be. Could be a dollar, which I could, no, I don't have a dollar in my wallet. I couldn't pay that right now, but I could find some coins, all right? If it's a dollar, no problem. If it's $10,000, that's a problem. So, so I'm going to have some fear not knowing and not knowing if I have the power to overcome it. But if you tell me that it's $6,000, but I have a million dollars, my fear is gone, right? We have to pay the IRS $6,000. Well, that stinks. They're going to waste it within like, you know, a half a second. But I have a million dollars, so no problem. I have knowledge and I have power. If all the lights were off in this room, 
and we heard a rattlesnake, and we had no weapon. I don't know about you. I hate snakes. I'm going to be scared to death. You're going to see a side of me, although it's going to be dark. You're going to hear a side of me you're not going to like and not respect. I don't like snakes. But if the lights are on, and there's an animal control guy with one of those hooky things that grabs the snake, and each of us has a mongoose in our hand, and a very, 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 very large shotgun, fear goes away, right? I mean, I'm still going to be scared, but I'm going to let you take care of it. I'm going to go back to my office. See, knowledge and power takes away fear. Now look at verse 4. We have the knowledge, and it's powerful, that the Lord is our shepherd. And we don't have any wants or needs. We don't have to fear because he's omnipresent. He's always there. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he says, my perfect love will cast out all fear. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will seal that promise with my own spirit who not only will indwell you, but Acts 1.8 says, he will be the source of all the power for your life. Now, fear is a great propensity of sheep. But we don't get comfort from the weakness of our enemy because our enemy is not weak. And we don't get comfort from our own strength because that's an oxymoron. We only get comfort and strength from the Lord alone. So look back. I will fear no evil. The Hebrew's that strong. It says, I will not fear. I like that because it's both a reality and a decision. Based on his presence, based on his power, based on his provision, based on his promises, I will not abide in fear. Why? Because you're with me, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to abide in you. How many times in your life, how many times in my life have we allowed fear to have a prominent place in our hearts? That, that we keep holding on to it. We keep remembering. We keep revisiting the fear that shouldn't have any control over us. I, I read an article, I was thinking about this this week, as I read an article about the link between clutter and depression. It, the, the article said that the more clutter there is in your house, the more stuff there is in your car, the more your workplace looks like a tornado went through, the more negatively it affects your mood and your self-esteem, and the more emotionally paralyzed you become in trying to deal with it. Now, there's always a spiritual application, right? And here I believe that many of us hold on to, and I would suggest very carefully, we even hoard them. We hoard negative experiences. We replay them in our mind. We talk about them with other people. We get angry about them. We live in regret. We keep blaming ourselves. And guess what? That creates fear. We start to feel insecure we, we wonder how we're perceived, whether I can ever be successful again. When am I ever going to fit in? Why doesn't anybody like me? I'm not worthy of love. Well, God can't use me. And, and instead of crying out for the Lord, we just kind of blow up our lives. Now, we can do that. Or we can hear his words to his people in Joshua. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, 
I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. Or what Jesus says in Matthew 28, I'm with you always. If we ever doubt his love, then just read Jeremiah 31.3, I love you with an everlasting love. Or read Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? That's, that's the valley of the shadow of death. In all these things, Paul writes, I'm overwhelmed, I, excuse me, in all these things, we're, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, no other created thing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, come on. We have to live in the power and comfort and reassurance of his presence. And we have to choose. We have to choose. I'm not going to dwell in fear. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be controlled by fear. I have a choice. I can put that off and trust the Lord and abide in him, or I can just keep dwelling in the valley, looking up the cliffs, going, what am I going to do? And that leads us to the last thought. When we're con we are confident, we are confident because the Lord literally protects us with his life. Turn over to John chapter 10 just for a moment. John chapter 10. We are confident because the Lord literally protects us with his life. Let's see this, illustrate it, and then we'll pray. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts them forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were which he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus describes himself as the door. Now, what does that mean? He says, anyone who comes through me will be saved, similar to John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the implication and the truth is that salvation is only through him. But there's another application that we see in verses 9 and 10 that goes right back to Psalm 23, 4. The place where the sheep would stay at night was called the sheepfold, where the sheep and the shepherd would, would gather around. We have a picture of it, if you um, could put that on the screen. This is a, a round, open-air enclosure, and it's made of stones. It's high enough to keep out predators. The shepherd would put sharp stones on top, so if a wolf or something tried to jump in, they would get hurt. 
Sometimes if they couldn't build a, a actual stone, if there wasn't one in the area, the shepherd would take sticks and, and brush and would make his own. But the key to the sheepfold, you see it right in the front, is that there was an opening. Now the opening let the sheep and the shepherd in and out. So at nighttime, he would bring the sheep into the enclosure, into the sheepfold, and they would have a place to lay down and rest. But here's the problem. There's an opening. So how are you going to protect against attackers? It's exposed. If, if a thief comes up or another animal comes up, there, there's going to be a problem because they're going to be able to go right in. So here's what the shepherd would do. He would lie across the opening and be the door. He would fill in the gap. And if somebody came or if an animal came to try to attack the sheep, the shepherd would sacrifice himself against the attack. What a beautiful spiritual parallel. Because look back at Jesus' words in verse 9. He says, I am the door. I am the one who stands in the gap. And if you're going to be saved, if you're going to enter in, it is only through me. I'll be the one that will release you out to the pasture. And if the enemy comes to try to attack, I will sacrifice and I will give my life because the enemy comes to kill and destroy. Look at the end of the verse. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, come on, it's so beautiful. We just celebrated that. I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now you say, well, why would the shepherd do that? They're just a bunch of smelly, stubborn, obstinate, go-their-own-way sheep. Well, he did it because he loved the sheep. He loved the sheep. Why did Jesus come and sacrifice on the cross? Why did, why did he take my sin? Why did he get beaten by his creation and spit on and mocked and tortured and go to the cross? Why would he do such a thing for Paul Rhodes? It's because he loves me and he loves you. I'm the door and I'm not just going to come, come help you exist. I've come to give you life and abundant. And then if you look down to verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You and I, listen now, we can trust the Lord for that and we can abide in him daily in that promise and that takes away fear. But go back to Psalm 23, 4 for a minute because David says one more thing. He says, you are with me and your rod and your staff comfort me. A shepherd's rod was like a, an oak club. Had a little knob at the top and the shepherd would wear a sheath on his side with a hole in it and the the the, the rod would go down through the hole and the knob would kind of catch. So it was always right here, always at his right hand. So if a, if a lion attacked or a coyote came up, he would grab the stick, he would grab the rod and whack it. It was always at his disposal. 
designed to, to ward off a fight. And then he says, I have your staff. Well, the staff was a, a six-foot life-size pole that the shepherd would carry. And he would do that for climbing over rocks. Or he would prod the sheep when they weren't on the right way. Or he, when they went into a cave, he'd poke in the dark corners. Because guess what? There are my worst fear, snakes and scorpions, and little gross animals that want to do your harm. So the shepherd would take the staff, and he'd kind of poke in the dark areas. Well, you say, all right, so he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Doesn't seem like either of those uh, tools are designed to comfort us. And yet they're used for our protection and our guidance, so we will stay on the path of righteousness. So they're a huge source of strength. They're a huge source of comfort, especially when we are in dangerous, threatening situations. Listen, we've all been through them, right? Some of you right now are going through great valleys between the cliffs of problems, and you're walking through, and you're wondering what's going to happen. You can live in weakness. You can live in fear. You can keep recycling in your mind. Or you can walk with the shepherd through the valley. And there's threat and there's danger and you feel overwhelmed. But he says, look, you don't have to be controlled by fear because I'm with you. I will lead you. I will protect you. I will comfort you. And I'll be your strength. What will you choose to do today? How will you choose to live today and every day? Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? Tell me. He will direct your paths. Will we walk with him in obedience and dependence? Or will we walk around in fear?